Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, well, hey, good morning, LifePoint. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15, looking at verses 29 through 39 in our time together this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben Wright, and I'm the Associate Pastor of Student Life here at the church. I'm extremely thankful for this opportunity to be able to preach to you from God's Word today. Well, this morning, we're going to continue in our summer series that we started a couple weeks ago. We're going through the Gospel of Matthew in a series that we have called Stories for Real Christ Followers. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Lane started with a message on righteous living. Last week, Pastor Jonathan taught on mega faith. And this morning, we're going to talk about radical compassion And ultimately, we're going to see the love and the compassion that Jesus has had for us and how we can go and have that for others. And so let's go right into our big idea for this morning. That leads us into our big idea. Here's our big idea, uh, what we're going to take away from this morning's verses. That Christ followers must show the same compassion for others as Jesus has for us. Christ followers must show the same compassion for others as Jesus has has for us. So let's go ahead and let's get right into it. So go ahead and look with me at Matthew chapter 15 verses 29 through 39 and go ahead and look with me starting in verse 29. Starting in verse 29 we read, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Who's the most compassionate person you know? And why do you think that they are so compassionate? On the flip side, who is the least compassionate person that you know? And please, if they are sitting right next to you, just keep your eyes up here. Don't say anything at all. I know I'm a little bit out of season for this, 
but uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And uh, I particularly really like the Jim Carrey version. I think Jim Carrey plays a great Grinch. He is rude. He is sarcastic. He has zero compassion for people whatsoever. He is just completely full of himself. And I'm sure many of you know the Grinch's story. Uh, The Grinch hates Christmas. He lives in a cave with his only friend, which is his dog named Max. His heart is three sizes too small, and he lives outside of a town named Whoville. Now, where the Grinch hates Christmas, Whoville is all about Christmas. Everything they do is about making an awesome Christmas experience. And so one year, they decide they're going to have the best Christmas Ever. They're going to make it bigger. They're going to make it better. And then there's this little girl named Cindy Luhu, and she gets this crazy, radical idea. She wants to invite the Grinch into their Christmas celebration. Now, I don't know about you all, but I'm guessing for most people, Christmas is one of those holidays. You watch the Hallmark Channel. You want it to look just like that. So bringing the crazy uncle to Christmas that brings a lot of controversy is probably not what you're going to do. But little Cindy Lou Who reaches out to an outsider, one that is absolutely despised by the people of the town, and she extends an invitation to the Grinch. Now, when you go towards the end of the story, uh, yeah, the Grinch destroys Christmas for them somewhat, but at the very end, you see this change of heart in the Grinch. He actually begins to love Christmas. He actually begins to celebrate with them and have compassion for others, and it was all because of a little girl that showed compassion towards him. When the Bible talks about the word compassion, specifically today, it's talking about a word that means deep empathy. You deeply care for others. I think when we look around at the culture around us, we wouldn't say our culture is characterized by deep compassion deep empathy, deep care for others. Generally, one political party is not having so much deep empathy and care for the other political party. Even in the Christian world, one uh, one theological side is not having a lot of compassion and empathy for the disagreeing theological side. No, we love cheering on and showing compassion towards those people um, that think like we think. But for those who don't, We view you as an enemy and we want you out of our way. Well, what we're going to see this morning is like Cindy Lou Who, Jesus comes to an area with a bunch of people who think differently than him, a bunch of outsiders, those who are despised. And Jesus comes and he shows them compassion and he brings healing to their lives. And once again, that leads us to our big idea for this morning's message. Our big idea, once again, is this. That Christ followers must show the same compassion for others as Jesus has for us. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to be looking at verses 29 through 39 in Matthew chapter 15. And we're going to look at three ways that Jesus shows compassion. Three ways that Jesus shows compassion. So let's go ahead and let's go ahead and look at the first way Jesus shows compassion. The first way that Jesus shows compassion is this. Jesus shows compassion to the outsider. Look with me at verse 29. Verse 29 says, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. 
Now today, it's gonna be really important for us to understand the context of where Jesus is at and where he's, he's doing his ministry. Last week, Pastor Jonathan taught on mega faith, and we saw this transition in Jesus's ministry away from the Jewish people and towards the Gentiles. Well, in verse 29, it says that he went on from there and he began walking by the Sea of Galilee and he goes up on this mountain. Now, it doesn't give us a lot of context, but the same story is presented to us in the Gospel of Mark. And in Mark, he tells us that Jesus is in the region of the Decapolis. And the Decapolis is a region where it's 10 uh, Greek governed cities that are primarily Gentile. Here's why that's important that Jesus is doing ministry in a primarily Gentile area because Jews and Gentiles don't get along. Jews hate Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. They despise them. The Jews see the Gentiles as pagans, those outside of the promises of God. Uh, They use the term dog as a derogatory term to call them. They want nothing to do with them. It'd be like a Cubs fan going to Bush Stadium or a Raiders fan coming to Arrowhead, or a Republican speaking at the Democratic National Convention, or vice versa. It just doesn't happen. But here's Jesus going into an area that so many Jews often avoided. And look at verse 30. It says, and great crowds came to him. At this point in Jesus's ministry, he is a superstar. He has uh, thousands of people following him. These people have seen Jesus heal. They've heard his teachings. They want to continue following him. They want to continue to see the miraculous. And uh, most commentaries say that when it talks about these great crowds, and you're going to see that term a lot in these verses, that term crowds, uh, we're talking about thousands upon thousands of people and primarily Gentiles. So why in the world would a Jewish man, a teacher, a rabbi, and Jesus want to be around a bunch of pagan Gentiles? Well, it's because Jesus cares deeply for all types of people. No matter who you are or where you've gone in your life, Jesus cares for us. Look with me at verses 30 through 31. It says, And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. That last little statement there that says, and they glorified the God of Israel, hold on to that. We're going to finish our message there this morning. But I want you to imagine yourself for a second standing on a mountain with thousands of people, and all around you is just brokenness. You see people who can't see, people who can't speak, people who can't hear, people who can't walk. See, no one asks to be born into this world with physical ailments. No one asks to be born into this world and viewed as an outsider. But here's Jesus coming and meeting them where they're at, these pagan Gentiles that are hurting. And Jesus comes and he offers them hope and love and healing. 
One of my favorite stories is in the Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Luke uh, chapter 7. Uh, and in Luke chapter 7, you get this story where you have a really religious leader named Simon. He's very moral. You have Jesus and you have a prostitute. And Simon asks Jesus to eat with him at his home. And as they're, they're dining together, a prostitute shows up to the door of this religious leader And look, no little girl growing up ever desires to be a prostitute. There is something in your life that has had to have had to happen that's been horrible for you to end up there. And here's this prostitute coming to this very religious leader's dinner. And imagine how much anxiety and uh, just stress she's probably feeling. And she's just like she's going to this person's house who she knows he's going to hate her. And she goes anyways because she's so broken She's so overwhelmed by her lifestyle, her sin, but she knows that there's one there that can bring healing to her body. And she sees Jesus. She falls down on her face at his feet, who are filthy, and her tears begin to cover his feet with moisture. And she begins cleaning his feet with her hair and anointing his feet with perfume. And listen to what Simon, the religious leader, says to Jesus. He says, if this man were a prophet, meaning if Jesus were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Here's what Simon's saying. He's saying, Jesus, this woman right here, she's disgusting. She's nasty. She is too far gone for God. What do you want with her? Stay away from her, Jesus. We are too holy for her. And Jesus responds by saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, pay attention to this, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Church, look at the compassion of our God towards the outsider. The entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a story of our compassionate God towards outsiders. And that includes you and I. We are are the prostitute in Luke chapter 7. We are the Gentiles in Matthew chapter 15. We were the ones born into this world as enemies to God, enslaved to Satan, enslaved to our own sin. And Jesus came to rescue us, the outsider. So we have to ask ourselves then, well, what does that mean for us as we go and we live our lives? Well, I think it means this, that we need to be around people that think differently than us, that might not look just like us, who might have differing beliefs than us. And I'm not saying that we agree with them. 
But our hope is, is as Jesus has come and rescued us, that he can now use us to meet outsiders where they're at to share with them the good news of the gospel. How beautiful is it when you see local churches all across the globe full of diverse people? People that have been memorizing Bible verses from the womb to those who never heard the gospel until they were an adult broken with so many habitual dark sins. Jesus saves those that are close to him and far from him. And he uses us as the means to go and reach those people. And so we need to ask ourselves this question, who has God put around us? Who has God put around us? Who can we begin showing compassion towards in our lives? Maybe it's someone that has completely different religious beliefs than you. Maybe they're polar opposites of you politically. Maybe it's someone in your neighborhood, your family, your workplace. What's the first step you can take to begin meeting them where they're at and loving them like Jesus has loved you? Instead of getting angry at them for what they believe, have compassion for them. If we truly accept the compassion that Jesus has shown us as outsiders, why wouldn't we want to go and show the same to others? That's the first way that Jesus shows compassion. Jesus shows compassion to the outsider. Let's look at the second way that Jesus shows compassion. The second way that Jesus shows compassion is that Jesus shows compassion by meeting people's physical needs. Look with me at verses 32 through 39. Verse 32 says, Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd. There's our word for the day, compassion. I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And so Jesus has been performing miracles on pagan Gentiles that are numbering in the thousands. They have been with him for now three days. Um, Despite them running low on resources, they continue to want to listen to Jesus, to be around Jesus, to hear from Jesus, and Jesus sees this. But he sees that they're in a dangerous spot if they were to travel home without any food. He has compassion for them. He wants to do something about it. He wants to meet their physical needs. And so he calls his disciples, and look how his disciples respond in verse 33. And the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And the disciples are looking at these crowds, which uh, upwards, some commentaries say, 15,000 people. And they're like, Jesus, how in the world are we going to feed this many people with what little food that we actually have. What's crazy about this is literally one chapter earlier in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He takes five loaves of bread and two small fish and he feeds uh, 5,000 men, not even including women and children. So probably about 20,000 people. And here are the disciples wondering how in the world is he going to do this? Now, the feeding of the 5,000 is a different story than the feeding of the 4,000. The feeding of the 5,000 took place in an area called Bethsaida, which was a primarily Jewish place. So Jewish was showing, or Jesus was showing the Jews that he was going to meet their physical needs. But now Jesus is performing this miracle in Gentile territory. He's showing us that he is the great provider for both the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And so how does he do this? Well, look with me at verses 34 to 39. Verse 34 says, And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? 
They said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the small fish. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. So Jesus is given these uh, seven loaves of bread and these few small fish. And I don't know how he does it, but he multiplies it in a way that everybody eats and is satisfied and there are leftovers. Now, here's what I would say to you. If you are ever asked to host a party or an event or whatever it might be, and you're the one bringing food, I would not advise you to go to that event with one plate of food, close your eyes, say a blessing over it, and hope that when you open up your eyes, everybody has a plate of food in their hands. What you're probably going to look like is a fool when you open up your eyes and people are going to leave hangry. So how does Jesus do it? Well, this is the guy born of a virgin, This is a guy that is giving sight to the blind. This is the guy who is raising people from the dead. He is God in the flesh, and he's multiplying food for the thousands. Jesus is showing us is that his compassion didn't just stop with a feeling. It led him to do something about it. He meets their physical needs. Uh, A little over a decade ago, I left the country for the first time time. I was born and raised in uh, Ozark, and so there's kind of this southwest Missouri Ozark bubble that I was raised in when I just assumed that everybody kind of looked like me, lived like me, all of their physical material needs were met like mine have been. And a decade ago, I went to the country of Belize, and if you don't know anything about Belize, 60% of the population in Belize experiences deep, deep, deep poverty. And when I got there, our host took us throughout the country, through towns, and the first thing that stuck out to me was the infrastructure is completely different. There's not a McDonald's and Taco Bell on every corner. There's two roads that go through the country. One goes this way, one goes this way, okay? Instead of stoplights, they have speed bumps, and at each of these speed bumps, they had soldiers holding AK-47s, and so that really stuck out to me. Not only that, as we were being taken through these towns, I was looking at the homes and you were seeing these, um, these little shacks that were put up on stilts, single room, housing families of six to eight people. You would see malnourished adults and children walking along the streets. You would see little kids drinking from the river. Uh, one thing that really stuck out to me is we were helping make a sidewalk for a woman and she was making dinner for her family and her kitchen was on the outside of her home in the mud. And so I'm, I'm seeing all of these things, and I'm like, man, I've never seen anything like this before. All I have ever been used to is what we see here in really southwest Missouri, but America at large. And so when I got home, I remember, and maybe you have felt like this, you've gone on a mission trip, um, and your eyes are open, and you get home, and you instantly feel angry. You're like, man. We have so much here, and we're still not happy. We're still not satisfied. I saw little boys and girls and adults who loved Jesus, and they had nothing, and they were so full of joy because they knew they had Jesus, and yet here we are. I'm talking specifically really about myself, who has so much, who's so focused on myself, yet I'm so 
joyless. And so we might be thinking, okay, what can we do to help? Because here's the reality, guys. We don't live in an area that's as impoverished as Belize is. But that's not to say that there isn't poverty in the area that we live. In fact, Springfield's poverty rate is 65% higher than the U.S. average. We have families in the communities around us that are in deep, deep physical need. Single parents raising their children. Families that have been destroyed by substance abuse. Individuals or families that have just hit a hard time. There are still plenty of needs out there and we have to watch out for the enemy trying to lull us to sleep by focusing on ourselves and the comfort and the security that we live in. It's not wrong to have nice things. But God has blessed us with these things so that we can go and bless others with them. James says it like this. He says, if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is saying that if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not just enough for you to cease a need and do nothing about it. No, your faith, let it have action. Go and actually do something. Be like Jesus. Jesus had compassion on the crowd, and then he went and he provided for the crowd. And so how can we be a church known for meeting the needs of one another, but also the needs of the community around us? I think we need to start with each of us in here just opening up our eyes and having an awareness of those needs around us, where God has put us, and then looking at what God has blessed us with and seeing how we can bless others with it. Maybe it's through your community group. Maybe in the fall, your community group needs to begin having a conversation on what it practically looks like to serve in the community together. A lot of this for a lot of us in here is going to be organic. You getting to know your neighbors that God has put around you, your coworkers, and seeing their needs and being able to meet those needs. Because church, we are the hands and the feet of Christ. And the church should be on the front lines meeting the physical needs of the community around us. Because when we get this opportunity to meet people's physical needs, when we get to show them the love of Jesus and the beauty of the kingdom of the God, the beauty of the kingdom of God to the world around us, it leads us to what I believe is the most important way that Jesus shows compassion. So here's the third way that Jesus shows compassion. Jesus shows compassion by meeting people's spiritual needs. When we meet people's physical needs, it opens up a door for us to tell them about the love of Christ. So let's look at this third way that Jesus shows compassion. Jesus shows compassion by meeting people's spiritual needs. So, so, so far this morning, we've seen Jesus show compassion to a bunch of outsiders and then meeting those outsiders' physical needs. But Jesus' greatest concern for every person is not their physical needs, though he does care deeply about them, as we've just seen this morning. Jesus' greatest concern is a person's spiritual needs. I want to go back, as I said earlier, I want to go back to the end of verse 31. And so look at the end of verse 31 with me because I believe this is why Jesus did what he did. I think this is why he does what he does. Look with me again at the second half of verse 31. It says, and they glorified the God 
of Israel. Remember, this happened right after Jesus got done healing them. It says, and they glorified the God of Israel. The NIV says it like this, and they praised the God of Israel. So Jesus healed, he fed thousands of people because he wanted these Gentiles to experience the goodness and the glory of God. Jesus met their physical needs to get to their spiritual needs. You and I, we are made up of so much more than just cells, carbon, and hydrogen. No matter what people would say, we have dignity, value, and worth, meaning, and purpose. The Bible's clear that every single human being has been given a soul. And this is what separates us from the rest of creation. Our soul is central to the personhood of what it means to be a human. Our soul is comprised of our mind, our emotions, and our will. And our souls were created to be in union with God. In Genesis chapter 1, God created everything, but humans specifically were created in the image of God. We were to reflect God in everything we do. That's why when the rest of creation looks at specifically as you and I as humans, they are to say, man, they look just like God. We were reflecting God's glory to everyone. We were created by God, through God, and for God. That's why we're here, is to show how awesome God is. God created us in perfect relationship with him, to walk with him, to hear from him, where we can speak with him. There is no sickness. There was supposed to be no death, no decay, no hurt, no sin, no division. No, just beautiful, perfect harmony and unity with the creator of the universe and with one another. But obviously, as you and I look around the world today, we are far, far, far from that. If you just go home today and you turn on the news, you're going to see brokenness everywhere. And that brokenness has been caused by you and I. See, we have been infected by sin. Our emotions, our minds, our wills, every single part of us has been infected by sin. And that sin tells us that we no longer need God. That instead, what we need to do is focus more on ourselves, more of you, and that's going to be the answer to all your problems. It says that you were, the world would tell us that we are created by us, for us, through us. It's all about us. And every time we fall into sin, we're taking ourselves off of our minds and our hearts and our souls off of what's greater, and we're focusing on the lesser. A couple weeks ago, my family and I, we went to the beach, uh, and we are complete beach people. We try to go every year if we can or every other year. Um, We love the warm weather. We love the great seafood. We hate uh, the sand when sand gets in every crevice of our children's body and then it's in our vehicle for the next 10 years and somehow it makes it back into our homes with us. But what we love most of all is the beauty of the ocean. Did you know that an estimated 80% of all life on earth is found under the ocean? The average depth of the ocean is almost two and a half miles. Scientists have classified and named around 1.5 million species living in the ocean, and they think that there's up to 50 million more that have yet to be found. The ocean is amazing. One of our final nights when we were at the beach We found a pier and we walked all the way down the pier and it went about a quarter of a mile into the ocean. And when we got to the very end of that pier, we looked up 
and it's just like the most beautiful sight you can imagine. It's endless water as the sun is setting, waves are crashing upon waves, dolphins jumping in and out of the water. It was gorgeous. Now imagine as my family is looking at um, what is absolutely just beautiful in front of them, if I walked behind them and I was like, hey, hey guys, hey, don't forget about me. Like, look over here, come on. I I mean, I know that's great, but what about me? I went to college, I got a full-time job, My wife's teaching me how to clean the kitchen. Look, I'm getting there, but I'm still pretty awesome. Look at me. And imagine if my family would have taken their eyes off of what was in front of them, turned around and saw me. They would have been severely, severely disappointed. And every single time you and I fall into sin, that's what we do. We take our eyes off of what is greater, what's bringing our souls infinite joy, and we put it on something that was never intended for it to do what we want it to do in our lives. See, this is the problem with you and I and humankind, is that we are naturally born with the disposition towards sin and away from God, and we try to find our purpose, our meaning, and our value in everything but God. But here is where God showed us his most compassion. He came into this world to bring us back into relationship with him. He saw the brokenness, he saw it. He was compassionate with just not wiping us out, but he developed a plan, a plan of redemption from Genesis Revelation to bring us back into relationship with him. And it meant him sending his own son coming into this world. The Apostle Paul says it like this, he says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The story of the Bible is the story of God's radical compassion for a bunch of rebels that want nothing to do with him. Where Adam and Eve trusted the lies of Satan over the promises of God, God showed them compassion by promising a future savior that would come and rescue them where Israel worshiped false gods over and over and over again. God showed them compassion by staying faithful to his promise to multiply their descendants as numerous as the stars. Where David put Israel at risk because of his adultery and murder, God showed him compassion by restoring him and making him the greatest king Israel ever had. Where Peter abandoned Jesus at his darkest moment, God showed Peter compassion by never abandoning him. And where you and I continue to live sinful, unrighteous lives day after day, God has shown us compassion by sending his own son into the world to take our unrighteousness and to give us his righteousness. See, when God came into the world, he lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. He died the death on the cross that you and I deserved. He took all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of, shame, all of our sin, past, present, and future. He took that upon himself. The judgment that you and I deserve for that, he took that. And Jesus extends his compassion to us with an invitation 
to follow him, to trust him so that we can be spiritually healed. Jesus died. He was in the grave for three days. But the resurrection proves to us that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Savior that all of us are longing for, that he has conquered sin and death on our behalf. And when we trust Jesus, when we put our faith in him, we are forgiven of every sin ever. When the Father looks down at us, even on our worst day, if we are in Christ, all he sees is righteousness and his love for us never changes. And when we become a believer, the Holy Spirit, he begins to dwell inside of us and he gives us a new identity. You are now holy, blameless, righteous saints. And you have the very power that, gave, that Jesus had to have compassion on others. You now have that by the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the blind, yes, the lame, yes, the crippled received physical healing and the 4,000 ate their physical bread. But Jesus became our spiritual bread so that our souls could be spiritually healed. Life point, I don't, I don't want you to leave here this morning listening to a message on how you just need to have more compassion for others. No, I want, I want it to be about you and I entrusting our lives to the most compassionate one and letting his compassion live through us. Oh, that we would gaze our eyes upon the beauty of Christ and the compassion of Christ, and then we would naturally, just an overflow of our love for him, have compassion on the world around us. Maybe you're in here this morning, and for the first time, you're hearing the good news of the gospel. You've been living life trying to prove yourself for God, be good enough for God. Well, the Bible is very clear that you will never be good enough for God. You will never fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, but the good news is, is that Jesus has done that for you. All you need to do is repent of your sin and place your faith in him. If that's you this morning, myself and other pastors will be standing up here and we would love to pray with you and talk to you about what it looks like to begin following Jesus. Church, Christ followers must show the same compassion for others as Jesus has for us.